Hello and welcome to You Heard It Here First, helping you discover the best that Audible has to offer. I'm your host, Imriel Morgan, and I'm here with lots more great audio for you to check out on the Audible website or app. On today's show, we learn what it's like to be a black mother in modern Britain, and we hear the heartbreaking stories of Japan's 2011 tsunami. Then, later in the show, I'll be joined by two guests with recommendations, including hilarious Australian comedian Nazim Hussain. Plus, we hear what you love in our latest Listener's Corner, too. Let's start the show with a review from you. Every week, I have a look on Audible's website to find your interesting feedback. Our first review today comes from Tani for a fiction book. They left this five-star review for Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. Great book. Could have been written today. I really enjoyed this book. It had a great mix of action, emotion and psychological elements. The main characters were developed well and I enjoyed that everything was not laid out in the first chapter. Your understanding of this alternative world will build as you read. That was Tani's review of Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. You can find it on Audible now. And next, it's time for me to recommend a new audiobook that I've really enjoyed and think you will too. This week, our featured new release is I'm Not Your Baby Mother by Candice Brathwaite, the book you didn't even know you needed to listen to this year. I'm going to be bold and say that this book is a must listen for anyone that identifies as a woman, a black woman, or heck, people who can get pregnant. I Am Not Your Baby Mother is about stereotypes and assumptions placed on black women from a young age, right up until they have children. Candice is a popular content creator and influencer. She is the creator of Make Motherhood Diverse, a platform that tells the stories of motherhood through an inclusive lens. Unsurprisingly, this makes her the perfect author for this book. Baby mother is usually a derogatory term given to single black mothers. There are also class and cultural elements that intersect who gets labelled like this. Candice does an excellent job of breaking down these differences and providing an in-depth analysis of the experiences of black British women. She is candid, straight-talking and authentic throughout. It's cathartic to hear her recount some quite neurotic moments between her and her partner when they're expecting their first child, Esme. For example, in Chapter 4, Iso Omo Loruko, translated to naming ceremony, she talks about being at odds with those around her about the naming of her baby. It's an entertaining retelling of a sobering lesson about the significance of naming a child and naming a black child at that. What's in a name? everything apparently. This issue was highlighted by David Cameron in his speech at the Conservative Party conference in October 2015. Name bias means the disappointment of not getting your first choice of university place, it is being passed over for promotion and not knowing why, it's organisations that recruit in their own image and aren't confident enough to do something different, like employing a disabled person or a young black man or woman. Of course, I knew that. And as soon as I knew I was pregnant, one thing that was as clear to me as almost anything, by the time my children's CVs reached a prospective employer, 
It was going to be beneficial to them that the interviewer would not know whether they were black. Because my name is Candice, it wasn't until I was invited to an interview that whoever was on the other side of the desk had any idea that I was black. And by then, it was too late. They had no choice but to give me a chance to wow them. Candice oscillates from a light-hearted tone of an excited mum-to-be, telling us about naming her child Brixton, to the serious journalist recounting hard facts about the inequality a child is likely to face if they have an ethnic-sounding name. She switches between these two styles throughout the book. You can't help but learn, retain and engage with what she's sharing. Now, I'm not a mum, nor do I plan to be anytime soon, but even I had to Google the bugaboo pushchair she gushes over and add it to my Amazon wishlist. Hearing her recount the pressure she felt to own one provides an insight into the difficulties of looking like a new mum who has it all together. I know at the top of the show, I said this is a must listen, and I honestly still believe it is. But there are some pretty heavy topics in the book from sexual assault and trauma through to abortions and mental health. If you're of a more conservative or traditional disposition, you might want to bear that in mind. Overall, though, I had little to no faults with this book. It's a great length, it's engaging, and it's an easy binge. You'll leave it feeling smart, aware, and more inclusive as a result, which is a testament to Candice's writing style and voice. So that's I'm Not Your Baby Mother by Candice Brathwaite. You can find it now on Audible. Welcome to our Hidden gem section of the show. This is where I recommend a book that might not be new, but is still a great listen. And the book I've chosen today is Ghosts of the Tsunami by Richard Lloyd Parry. I chose this book as I was craving stories from another part of the world. The restrictions on travel are still wreaking havoc on many of us, so it felt important to escape to another place. With all that in mind, Ghosts of the Tsunami is not the light-hearted East Asian escape I planned on diving into, but I'm glad I read it nonetheless. The book is an account of the aftermath of the tragic 2011 disaster that hit the Tohoku coastal region in Japan. The area experienced a magnitude 9 earthquake, which was then followed by a tsunami and a nuclear meltdown in Fukushima. Nearly 20,000 people died. Richard, who was a foreign correspondent living in Tokyo at the time, began reporting from the disaster zone. He stayed on to observe and document the lives of the community. And from this, we get chilling accounts of loss and tons of ghost stories plaguing those left behind. This book is not an easy listen at all. In it, he tells the story of Okawa Primary School. Of the 75 children who died while at school that day in Japan, 74 were from Okawa Primary. The stories of death feel unending and heartbreaking. The tremendous loss of life is soul-crushing to hear. You'll want to come up for air a few times. For example, listen to this moment when one mother finds her child. They were telling me not to come in, but I rushed in. Chisato was there. She was covered in mud. She was naked. She looked very calm, just as if she was asleep. I held her and lifted her up and called her name over and over, but she didn't answer. I tried to massage her to restore her breathing, but it had no effect. I rubbed the mud from her cheeks and wiped it out of her mouth. It was in her nose too, and it was in her ears, but we had only two small towels. I wiped and wiped the mud, and soon the towels were black. I had nothing else, so I used my clothes to wipe off the mud. Her eyes were half open, and that was the way she used to sleep, the way she was when she was in a very deep sleep, 
but there was muck in her eyes, and there were no towels and no water, and so I licked Chisato's eyes with my tongue to wash off the muck, but I couldn't get them clean, and the muck kept coming out. Like I said, it's not an easy listen. However, it feels like a necessary one. I appreciated the distance you have from these stories. You feel tearful but removed enough to not feel broken and overwhelmed by this retelling. Richard says that his careful distance from what he witnessed was a professional necessity. He could not allow his emotions to overwhelm him, saying, no doctor, aid worker or reporter can do his job if he is crushed by the spectacle of death. You cannot help but admire the strength and resilience of the survivors, how they organised themselves and put what was left of their community first. Richard approaches their testimonies with grace and dignity, while demonstrating just how difficult the transition was for these families. This book is about loss and grief as well as strength and resilience. You might find it comforting or relatable if you've experienced loss yourself, but equally you might want to tread carefully if it hits too close to home. But I think it's really worth it. If you want to hear more about this tragic story, you can find Ghosts of the Tsunami by Richard Lloyd Parry by searching for it on the Audible website. And on You Heard It Here First, I'm not the only one recommending some audio goodness. Every week, I'm joined by two guests who share what they've been loving. And this week, I'm joined by Nazim Hussain. Hello, Nazim. Hello, how's it going? Good, thanks. How are you? I am very, very well. Excellent. It's very... <laughs> Does that sound fake? Because I am very, very well. Especially because I'm on you. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear it. It's really lovely to have you. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, please? Yes, my name is Nazim. I'm living in Melbourne, uh, born and raised here, and I am a stand-up comedian, which well, hey. normally means doing stand-up shows, but these days means uh, not doing stand-up shows. <laughs> <laughs> doing sit-down shows on Zoom. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, fair enough. Can you tell us about the book you've chosen? I've chosen Limitless by Jim Quick. I chose it because I've read one self-help book called Atomic Habits and really enjoyed it changed my life for about a week and then I thought <laughs> I need another book like that to do the same and Limitless had all these great reviews and the blurb says it does all these amazing like basically he'll rewire the way you think and the way you absorb and learn information it feels like a hack for your brain amazing so I was like, oh, it sounds it sounds like it could be like just reading a textbook but actually it's a very very engaging book awesome so what did you like about it I think what really got me into the book was they're just objectively fairly dry ideas how to improve your memory how to speed read how to retain information like all that those are very difficult ideas to make appealing to sound exciting for someone to listen and i've got Mm -hmm. i think of my attention just i'm just easily bored Um, (laughs) fair enough and then i started listening and what really got me was how um he grew up and uh he had an accident happen to him at school from a very young age and he had heaps of difficulty learning at school and socializing and he had confidence, all sorts of problems. And um, he essentially found a way himself to overcome all of those challenges and not just, you know, overcome them. He's, he's excelled in so many different parts of his life. So that was quite inspiring. I guess it would be quite nice to know if there's anything that you didn't connect with or that you haven't liked or would want to improve about the book so far? I'm actually quite critical and I will start series and stop them within like half an hour if I just find that every bit is not exciting. And Mm. I really like how 
he relates all of this research and data to a personal part of his life. Mm -hmm. So if you're not interested in, I guess, research or even like the data that he often gets into in some depth, this book might bore you at times. Yeah. But I find that sometimes like even when I'm listening to it, like I just sometimes I sort of tune out when he discusses the data or the research. Oh, and interesting. Just, but, it feel, but it fills me with confidence. I'm like, okay, he's not just talking crap or making this up. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. One of the features in the book is that he has these chapter summaries with a guest at the end, which I've never actually encountered in an audiobook before. What did you make of it? Okay, to be honest, the first time I got to one of those chapter reviews with this woman called Mia Lux... I thought, oh, is this like a bonus? I, I just skipped over the first one. And then I listened to the second one and I really enjoyed it. Like, it's almost like, I feel like it's a very different way of absorbing the material. Let's hear a clip. That's something that surprised me a lot about this chapter was, you know, we talk about human potential. We talk about our potential. And, and I think I've always seen potential as being like, oh, there's like a little bit more room to go. But this chapter like opens it up to really how how radically transformative our, our our own internal processes could be. Like there's the brain and what it could do. And so I just want to ask you, I think so many of us didn't grow up in this model. We grew up in the model of, oh, an old dog can't learn new tricks. You know, that's just the brain I've got. Really limiting beliefs about our own capacity. If you could give everyone who's listening to this book right now the most empowering possible belief about their brain, mm. what would it be? You know, I'm glad you brought that up because in part two, when we talk about limitless mindset, we are actually going to uncover and decode the seven lies that we tell ourselves about our potential, about our brain. But not only that, I'm going to give you a three-step formula to take a disempowering belief like genius is born as opposed to being made, or that we use only 10% of our brain, or some of these disempowering beliefs, and we're going to turn them into empowering beliefs because all behavior is belief-driven. It's kind of, I guess it's like when you have tutorials after lectures, through that kind of chat, you take stuff away. Enjoy, so I went back to listen to the first one after hearing his guest ask those questions. It was, and, 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 and in a way, she did, well, she did a great job because she was sort of, Asked the questions that I probably had, but didn't realize I needed to ask. So that was very good. Amazing. Um, So finally, we have a little bit of time to ask you about your work. So can you tell us about your latest project? Yeah, so I uh, have a podcast on Audible called Rogue Sun, which is a podcast where I went to Sri Lanka at the end of last year. I was born and raised in Australia. My parents are both from Sri Lanka. a new dad. My kid is two and a half. Oh. And uh, he's mixed race. So he's got Sri Lankan in him, South African and Irish, and he's born in Australia. We're Muslim. So I feel like he's got to have a lot of questions the more he develops and uh, as his language improves. So I thought, uh, I've got to figure out what this Sri Lankanness in me that I've passed on means to him. And I've got to have the answers to all those questions that he will start asking inevitably before he can start asking them. When I've gone to Sri Lanka uh, growing up, every time I go there, I spend so much time with my family and mm. I've never really explored Sri Lanka outside of that or understood the, the history of the politics or the culture of the place outside of just visiting 
my aunties and uncles. And so they're always very kind of short trips. But I thought, look, I've got to try to explore it by myself. But I went at a time when Sri Lanka was electing in a new government. There's been a civil war in Sri Lanka, and that sort of ended quite brutally. And the Sri Lankan government at the time, many members of that government had been accused of war crimes. And by the time me and my producer landed in Sri Lanka, this new government had been elected back in. So it was a very different Sri Lanka. There's a lot of, um, you know, nervousness and fear amongst people who weren't sure what this meant or whether there was going to be more violence and kidnappings. And Were you scared? Well, to be honest, the reason why it's called Rogue Son is because my mum didn't actually, she wouldn't have wanted me to go. And so I knew that. So I basically kind of lied about the whole thing and said I was going to Sri Lanka <laughs> with a massive camera crew. We were filming this TV show with a couple of dozen crew members. Ah. Oh, you know, there's heaps of, there are lots of white people. She's like, just white people. I'm like, no, no, and, and it's very mixed. We're not going to be a, become a target. I just didn't want to freak her out that I was going to go there, just me and this other guy. <laughs> so the podcast kind of navigates me exploring Sri Lanka whilst maintaining this lie. It oh, was wow. a very stressful time trying to lie to her. <laughs> but also we got into some pretty tricky and sticky situations as well because, um, you know, we were recording and speaking to people that maybe we shouldn't have been speaking to oh, wow. according to the government, but, you know. It was, regardless, a valuable experience and I hope an entertaining one for the listeners. Amazing. Thank you so much, Nazim. Thank you for having me. Please listen to my podcast. (laughs) Limitless by Jim Quick was Nazim Hussain's pick. You can find it on Audible along with his own podcast, Rogue Sun. And also hoping to impress us is Gabe Fleming. Hello, Gabe. Hi, Imriel. Can you tell us about the book you've chosen today and why you've chosen it? Yes, the book I've chosen today is called Men Who Hate Women by Laura Bates. Um, I seem to be going down a bit of a rabbit hole of reading about really horrific people. Obviously, in light of everything that's been happening in the world lately, um, I think it sparked a lot of people, including my own curiosity, about kind of looking down some of the sort of dark corners of the belief systems and the kind of influence groups that are happening today. So last time I talked about how to be an anti-racist, which obviously tackled uh, the subject of racism and racists. And this time it's Men Who Hate Women, which really does exactly what it says on the tin. It is a book that looks at various groups of really quite horrific misogynistic men and the various things they get up to online and then more worryingly kind of in the real world. Could you tell us a little bit about what it's about actually because it is a very intense pick and it's quite hard to listen to as a woman but I think for people listening who might just not know anything what's the summary? That's interesting to hear and I think it's for different reasons really hard to listen to as a man as well. It, it tackles some really um, some subjects that the, you just cannot sugarcoat and you mentioned the intensity of the writing. I think that's a really good point because it's vitriolic and angry the way it's written quite justifiably so in my opinion and I think the reason for that is the author Laura Bates has obviously become an expert on things like incels who are involuntary celibates essentially celibate men who are angry about the fact that they're celibate and have found some sort of logical path to the solution to that being a hatred of all women. And then you've got some more subtle but no less kind of insidious groups. So you've got men's rights activists, which really in my head were um, particular strand of men's rights activists were in the news a few years back for dressing up as Batman and getting on top of Parliament and, you know, protesting for fathers and men to have a 
better deal in divorce settlements, which, you know, sounds like a, at least a fair conversation to be having. But I think the men's rights activist movement also veers into some quite clearly misogynistic territory. You've also got men going their own way, which is almost sounds like a sort of boy band name, but is men who literally want to <laughs> leave leave society because they can't bear women. And then you've got pickup artists, which is men who are really good at picking up women, helping less confident men pick up women. You're getting a theme here. It's about horrible men who hate women in all their different guises. Yeah, I think all of my bookmarked sections from the book basically don't say much other than, oh God, oh God, oh God. Because it is, it's a lot. What about Laura, uh, she did quite a lot of research for this book. Do you know much about her and her backstory and to why she's been interested in this particular subject? Yes, so she wrote a breakthrough book a few years back called Everyday Sexism, accompanying website called the Everyday Sexism Project, which is a you know, a really interesting sub-movement in the feminist movement that is just really casting light on, you know, things like microaggressions against women in the workplace. Because of the success of the site and the book, she has become kind of a figurehead, a a go-to media contact for people wanting, you know, a feminist take on a particular topic. And I guess by virtue of becoming that, you know, that spokesperson, she's also become the victim of horrific violent and sexual threats about things that people are threatening to do to her. And again, I'm sorry to be talking about such a hideous subject, but I think by virtue of this book being published, it necessitates these conversations, which I think is a really good thing. Yeah, I agree. It is very well researched. Um, You can tell that she has spent a tremendous amount of time in a very uncomfortable part of the internet. Are there any parts of the book that stood out for you. One of the common tropes of these groups is there's a big threat. That, there's not a threat to women of being sexually assaulted. The threat is, in fact, flipped on its head and men are walking around in dire threat of being falsely accused by women, which is clearly yeah. an incendiary take on it in the first place. But it's a controversial take that has sort of worked its way into mainstream life. And, you know, Mike Pence, the current US vice president, he has something called the Pence rule, which is that he will not meet alone with a woman. Yeah. Let's hear a quick clip of the Mike Pence rule explained by Laura. It's striking to realise that this core manosphere ideology, vaunted by tens of thousands of internet devotees, has even penetrated as far as the heady heights of the White House. Vice President Mike Pence told reporters that he will never eat a meal alone with a woman who's not his wife, a practice that female politicians like Senator Kamala Harris have pointed out could have a massive detrimental impact on women's career trajectories in a fast-moving political world in which meetings over meals are common. Pence's stance is a highly effective example of the many ways in which manosphere philosophy finds itself dressed up in a veneer of respectability and reasonable debate, pushed gently into the mainstream. This is something that's really been lauded by the Christian right in the US as something very sensible to do. Now, obviously, the inference there is that he's protecting himself from the salacious accusations of women. And what that means is that is that women can't get in a room alone with one of the most powerful men in the world. Men can. So, you know, an up-and-coming journalist or, you know, political activist or, or US politician, clearly there's going to be big advantages to getting in a room with someone like, you know, as powerful as that. Women are simply not going to get those opportunities because of his yeah. Pence rule. And the Pence rule exists because of this trope about, you know, the problem being women falsely accusing men. Given everything 
that this book talks about and explains about these groups and these men, Gabe. What hope, if any, can we take away from this? And why should people listen to it? Is it a case of just finding out more about these groups and shining a light on these dark corners of the internet and groups, as you say? Or is there something that can be done that we should feel hopeful and optimistic about? And that's why it's worth listening to. Yes, I think there is. And I think that's a really good summary of, you know, shining a light on these things alone and driving awareness of them is is a first step. And that is very much the, the stated aim of the book throughout, is that people need to know this is a real issue. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's a warning. It's a warning for future generations. And it's a warning for current generations to watch out for it, and to be aware of it. And I, I, I was certainly not before I read the book. So yeah. from my perspective, it's done a good job there. Amazing. Thanks so much, Gabe. Pleasure. I promise to talk about something more cheerful next time. I can only hope. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> to learn more about this topic, download Men Who Hate Women by Laura Bates from Audible Now. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss any of the brilliant reviews we've got coming up in the next episode. Now, back to the show. And now it's time to hear from another author on our sister podcast, Audible Sessions. Audible Sessions is another podcast from the Audible team where they bring in some of your favourite authors to talk about their new releases and exciting new projects. This week, it's a clip from Majid Majid's Audible Session. Majid is a Somali-British activist and politician who served as the Lord Mayor of Sheffield and as a member of the European Parliament. He sat down with Holly to chat about his new book, The Art of Disruption. What would you suggest to people who are like... They're on the cusp of doing something, but, you know, they hold themselves back because that's how they've always lived. I would say everything is political. Even choosing not to do anything and just happy with the status quo as it is, is basically saying that I'm happy how things are and I'm actively not going to do anything about it. But I think, regardless, even if you're young or if you're kind of like mid-20s, mid-30s, the problem is that you've got got a lot more experience, you've got a lot more resources, a lot more that you actually can do. So I always think, honestly, is find what it is that you're passionate about, like, what it is that you want to change and try to like find some sort of community because the reality is, is that you're not the only one that wants to do something or I guess is unhappy about a certain thing, whether that be you want to, it could be even something that you're happy about that you just really want to support. It can even just be at the comfort of your home, even like signing a petition or just doing something actively and proactively supporting something. Even joining a union is being an activist in some sort of way. So I think the reality is it's that there's always something that you can do. And I think it's incumbent amongst all of us, regardless of what age you are, to kind of really look at sighted and kind of, because it's, there's people in your life that you're really passionate about, like you really care, whether that be your parents and um, the older generation, or that could be like your nieces and nephews or someone that is really impacted. So I always think to myself, think about the most vulnerable person in your family that you kind of love and kind of try and fight on their behalf, basically. Even if there's something you're not, you can't think of that you're really passionate about, that you really want to do, just think of the most vulnerable person that you care about and what it would mean to them to have you as an ally. Oh, I love Majid. I think he's absolutely excellent. He is a genius and you can tell that his brain is running at the speed of light in this interview, but he has such profound wisdom and knowledge. And I think he's absolutely right, is that people need to think about who's really impacted. And if the only way that you can do that is to look at your own family and your own close network, that's got to be the thing that you look at the most. And he's absolutely right. I just love him. I think he's fantastic. 
If you want to find out more about Majid, you can find his full Audible session on Audible's website. And if you feel like changing things up, you can download The Art of Disruption too. And finally, it's time to hear what you've really been enjoying in our listeners' corner. Each week, we hear from one of you about a book, podcast, play or drama that you couldn't stop listening to. This week, our review comes from Will for a memoir. My name is Will, and I'd like to recommend a book for you called The Night the Angels Came. This has always been one of my favourite books by the author, Cathy Glass, who also goes by the pseudonym Lisa Stone as well. But she is an author who has been fostering for many a year now, and she is fantastic at writing how the children come to her in states of neglect and quite traumatic circumstances to becoming able to live their lives independently. So although it's not the first in the series, The Night the Angels Came, it's an amazing read. I do recommend this to anyone who enjoys reading about youngsters who've come through tragedy and heartache and how this one lady with her family can help them succeed. Oh my God, that was the nicest review. I've been so curious about fostering, so I am very grateful to know about this book. Thank you so much, Will. This is definitely a book that I'm going to download right now. The Night the Angels Came by Kathy Glass was Will's pick. Thanks, Will. You get two credits on us to enjoy even more of Kathy's work. Remember, this is your chance to get your favorite audio recommended on You Heard It Here First. Send us a short message telling us all about a book, podcast or drama you love for a chance to win two credits from Audible. Just record a voice note on your phone and email it over to yhihf at audible.co.uk or send us an email and we'll read it out. But remember, keep your review spoiler free. And sadly, that's all for this week's You Heard It Here First. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about all the great audio we've shared today. In case you missed any, here they are again. Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. I Am Not Your Baby Mother by Candice Brathwaite. Ghosts of the Tsunami by Richard Lloyd Parry. Limitless by Jim Quick, chosen by Nazim Hussain. Rogue Son by Nazim Hussain. Men Who Hate Women by Laura Bates. Majid Majid's Audible Session. And our listeners' corner was The Night the Angels Came by Kathy Glass. You've been listening to You Heard It Here First, an Audible original produced by Content is Queen. Presented by me, Imriel Morgan, additional voices by Lazara Morgan, and featuring Nazim Hussain and Gabe Fleming. It was produced by Ellie Clifford. Original music was by Seth Bradford. For Audible, the executive producer was Holly Newson. The production executive was Hayley Nathan. And the commissioning editor was Kent DePinto. Pinto.